0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello and welcome back to the New Books and Hindu Studies podcast, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkron, and today I have the double pleasure of speaking with Dr. Karen O'Brien-Kopp from the University of Roehampton and Dr. Suzanne Newcomb from Oban University. They are co-editors in a fantastic landmark uh, publication, uh, a collection of a couple scores of essays in the field of yoga studies. It is uh, the Rutledge Handbook of Yoga and Meditation Studies. It's an absolute pleasure to be speaking with both of you today about this important publication. Welcome.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you.
1: And of course, some of you may recognize Suzanne from a previous podcast on her work, uh, Yoga in Britain. Um, now, the, the first and obvious question is is is, is pertaining to genesis of this like like how did this this beast arrive so to speak
0: you want to start karen you started it well we we were approached
2: by routledge to take on a, a graduate research handbook in yoga and meditation studies and um suzanne and i worked from the outset at developing the themes and um commissioning the authors, that was quite a long process. Uh, But we really wanted to highlight this emerging field of yoga studies and the way that the study of yoga intersects with study of meditation and contemplation um, in an interdisciplinary way. So the goal from the outset was to um, bring into conversation researchers who are working in the humanities, the social sciences, and as much as we could in the hard sciences, and to um, really identify a, a sort of emerging coherent field of study from um, from a range of subfields that were developing at fast pace in other disciplinary, in, in a whole range of disciplinary uh, fields of study, in fact. Um, so that was the intention from the outset. So... I mean, what,
1: um... Oh, Please, go I? on.
0: Sorry, I should raise my hand. <laughs> One of the things that really excited me was um, in, in taking on this project was the intersection between meditation studies and yoga studies, because yoga studies has now just got uh, enough of a a defined field, and there's been so many books published in, in 2020, in fact, on yoga studies, that it, it is really a a emerging and now almost established field. And of course, Buddhist studies and meditation studies has been around for maybe a decade or two longer. But there's been a um, kind of lack of discussion between the two. And that was one of the things we wanted to address. And one of the strengths of working with Karen is that she has expertise in the the, the philology and the language study and, and a more background in classical Buddhism and how that interacts with yoga. And I'm more interested in the contemporary context in terms of um, uh, modern social history and sociology. And there's a lot of overlap there between people doing, say, Buddhist meditation and doing modern yoga. And that has its own complex um, particularities. And so what I found particularly fascinating was was how, how we could explore the contradictions and movement of these two fields of studies and these two... Um, ways of categorizing embodied practice um, throughout different contexts and times and disciplines.
1: That's fascinating. So maybe one of you can give us the the lay of the land in terms of the structure of the book or the ways in which the contributions are grouped and we'll get a a richer sense of the sorts of projects we can learn about.
2: I can do that. Um, I also just wanted to um, follow up on your initial question, Raj, just to say that In terms of the genesis of the book, I at the time was teaching at uh, SOAS School of Oriental and African Studies on an MA program called Traditions of Yoga and Meditation, and as I was pulling together um, all of these, you know, new topics of of research through journal articles and blogs, I really did want to have um, a kind of one stop shop for particularly graduate students on this type of program, where there could be a, a reliable volume that was not comprehensive, but fairly comprehensive in terms of being able to address um, critical issues and global regional developments and research, um, as well as to kind of bring readers up to date, bring students up to date on um, research in in the history and development of yoga in South Asia, um, and to integrate, for example, perspectives from Hindu studies with perspectives from Buddhist studies as well. So um, I just wanted to add that in there as a kind of um, another, you know, guiding part of the initial conception.
1: Yeah, and 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 what I like about that is uh, you're preempting another question that I typically ask, uh, which I think is crucial for ha- for how we go about conceiving a project, which is who's is it for, you know, uh, to use modern lingo, what's the market, but really, you know, who's who's who are you trying to serve, right? And I think a great frame for this is sort of a one-stop shop for. Um, graduate students in these fields. And uh, I suspect the the, the, the appeal or the, the market, if you will, will be broader than that. Who do you think might be interested in the Rutledge Handbook of Yoga and Meditation Studies?
0: Well, well we'd love it to be accessible for the general public. And the e-book is not so um, expensive. So it's it's about 35 pounds and we're, we're hopeful that Routledge will bring out an, a paperback in over a year's time but in the meantime we're hoping that if you if you get if you look around for like podcasts like these and um, there'll, there'll be hopefully blog posts and other other bits where you can get the the research if you don't have access to a university library but if you if you are involved in university I'll tell your library to buy a copy and um, and hopefully a paperback will will be issued.
1: Fantastic. And so uh, how is the book divided? What are the sections?
0: So the book is
2: divided into five sections. Uh, we have the first part, um, if I'll just give you a basic overview, uh, is the introduction to yoga and meditation studies, which um, foregrounds a range of what we felt were important, critical perspectives that should, in a sense, frame uh, the, the reader's entry into the volume as a whole. So for example, the, um, Beginning really with Shamim Black's excellent chapter on decolonizing yoga, um, thinking about some of the current discussions in meditation in contemporary contexts, primarily focusing on Buddhism and Buddhist studies from Villa Huskafel. Um, Andrea Jane's chapter on neoliberal yoga was a really important one for us, and also Mark Singleton and Boray and Larius, um, who discussed the scholar practitioner identity and its complexities. Uh, The next section then um, is a chronological overview of the um, history and development of yoga and meditation in South Asia, starting, of course, with the Vedic period into the classical period, um, and then moving through into um, different key developments um, in the medieval period, and bringing the reader all the way up to the twentieth century with key historical developments. Um, Suzanne, would you like to pick up with the next section, or? Would you like me to continue? So the third section um, is called Doctrinal Perspectives Technique and Praxis and this focuses on um, religious contexts of meditation and or yoga uh, and includes uh, chapters by experts in Jainism, Daoism, Sikh, Sikhi or Sikhism, Islam, Christianity and also Um, an interesting chapter by uh, Masume Rahmani on secular discourses, so looking at mindfulness in the secular sphere. Then the fourth section is called Global and Regional Transmissions and looks at um, a range of regional contexts, um, including Tibet, including insular Southeast Asia, um, and also includes some new regional studies either published in English for the first time, or in the case of um, yoga yoga and meditation in Japan um, by um, Kurita Hidehiko um, bringing brand new research um, to light. Uh, This is a really interesting section I think because we have the first ever um, critical overview of the history of yoga in Latin America to be published in English and similarly, for the history of yoga and meditation in Korea. These scholars have been working in their own academic uh, regions for decades, but in the anglo- Anglophone uh, sphere of scholarship we haven't necessarily been aware of this scholarship and these types of publications. So that's um, I think quite an important contribution made through the volume as a whole, but particularly in this section. And then in the last section, section five, uh, we go through a number of different disciplinary approaches to the study of yoga and meditation. And some of these chapters are multidisciplinary, so combining different disciplinary approaches. Some are interdisciplinary. um, And this is a really interesting um, survey of all the different types of disciplinary lenses that are being used to understand and assess um, yoga. contemporary and historical context so we've got everything from philology to um, ethnography to cognitive science to critical theory um, movement theory uh, sound studies uh, and many other disciplinary approaches as well
1: each of these sections um, actually contains oh six seven chapters and could easily be a volume on its own this is actually really a a, quite a rich and, and, and sort of a vast um, handbook. I mean, that's why it's a handbook, right? Um, Suzanne, so I think there's something you want to say?
0: Yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what might seem like an odd editorial choice, which is in the doctrinal perspectives, um, there's not a chapter for Hinduism, um, and this is something we worked a lot on and talked a lot on as editors, and we originally thought we wanted a chapter on on yoga and meditation in Hindu traditions here, but it became apparent um, that Hinduism, as as is um, so often the case, was really hard to pin down in any specific way. And so, in fact, the whole history of South Asia section is 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 encompassing traditions we might think about as Hinduism. A Hindu doctrinal perspective comes in, in the um, yogic body and global transmission by um, Shravana in the fourth section um, and so it, it's more like the um, traditions of the indian subcontinent which we now collect together as hinduism they're woven throughout the book really so that's why there's not a specific chapter that says this is what yoga and meditation is in hinduism um, because it's it's just like like the concept of yoga and meditation it is always there in different ways almost in every chapter well,
1: um... I think it's quite telling that uh, somebody like myself who fancies himself a, a Hindu studies expert and, and in fact hosts a podcast called New Books in Hindu Studies didn't even notice that. Didn't even, that didn't register for me. Uh, and that's a comment really on um, the way in which um, I think of Hinduism. It's sort of this jungle. It's just, There are all these strands that we collectively call Hinduism, so many of which that you shed light on in this volume. And it's interesting to me because uh, all of these studies really, they're, they're, they're part of what I think of sort of the ascetic strand of Hinduism or, or ascetic ideology. I think of it as a double helical structure. But I mean, this this Hinduism has no one definition and has all these constituent strands that you're shedding light on. So you actually are shedding light on Hinduism. and But to put it under one umbrella as a monolithic thing would probably do a disservice to, to what you're trying to do in the handbook type thing.
0: I'm I'm very reassured that you read that as we intended, um, and I think one of the other interesting things is as yoga is often paired with Samkhya, um, and it's perhaps not obvious, but with the chapter titles, but we do have in the disciplinary section on yoga and philosophy that one actually focuses much more on Samkhya philosophy uh, and how that relates to yoga. But as we as we look at in the other st- say doctrinal perspectives this is not the only philosophy or soteriology associated with yoga even from a very early time and probably to some extent buddhism predates that although these are all kind of like post hoc labels we've attached to the historical traditions at the time
1: would you say that yoga studies as a discipline has officially been crystallized that it's a thing now that this this is it it's here
2: we're thinking this over carefully um i think there is an emerging field, or perhaps it has, as you say, crystallized um, called yoga studies. But I think in some ways we still would need to see um, a, a greater number of undergraduate and graduate programs that are dedicated to yoga studies or, or are that explicitly, there are a few actually, but there are explicitly called BA in yoga studies or MA in yoga studies um, in order for that name to perhaps stick in a more uh, rooted or grounded way. Uh, I still think of the I don't think what we've really captured in the handbook is necessarily the crystallization of a field. But I think it's a snapshot of a very fertile moment in an emerging field. Um, and it's a fast moving um, series of, of interdisciplinary investigations. So I think we moved very quickly with this book, even though it's taken probably three years from inception to get it published. Um, in fact, we just had um, a kind of key workshop um, which was very productive in terms of bringing the chapters together last year. Um, but having said that, even from the process of commissioning to the process of publication, it feels that a lot has happened in yoga studies in the last year, and we've tried to acknowledge that in the introduction, which we you know managed to finish a couple of months ago. Um, by also acknowledging that there are important conversations and directions for study um, that are now just happening and being published on and which we didn't necessarily manage to capture. So I still don't think the field is crystallized yet. I think there's, but, 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 but there's a lot of um, output happening um, in different parts of the world, in different
1: types of scholarship. Indeed, a lot of momentum. Part of the reason um, why I ask is I've had this, really interesting experience this past week, where um, it was asked of me to put together a an online weekend school for the OCHS. And I just sort of instinctively thought, well, yoga would be a great topic, because, you know, there's some interesting studies that I've come across, and something where obviously the wider public would be interested in knowing more about. And I just basically uh, sent an email out to folks that I've been working with or thinking about and. Lo and behold, we've amassed 10 contributors to this weekend school. And because of the time frame, I didn't have a theme in mind. And then when I looked over the list, I'm like, wow, everybody on this list has produced a book in 2020, has one forthcoming in 2021, or in some cases in 2019. And they've pretty much all been on this podcast or will be on this podcast, or in your case are now being podcasted. And I thought, wow, I had this thought experiment for myself, like, wow, <laughs> yoga studies is obviously a thing. We have all of these, all this production, and we're, we're even going to use that as sort of the frame of the, of the online school, new directions in yoga studies. Uh, so this is why I asked you, because obviously, you know, you'd be much more familiar with the scholarship in this area than I am. It, it, there really seems to be um, a ton of activity. And I'm not sure if the lineup of speakers was a surprise to you, but it was sort of uh, like it sort of was a spice to me to notice that when I put together that list.
0: I mean, it was, it was kind of, I didn't quite put it in my head that there are so many books published so recently on the subject. Um, so that was quite exciting, actually. And I have a, a lot to do in my weekends going forward. Um, but I think that even if um, the, as Karen rightly says, the, in terms of degree level programs, Um, there still could be a lot more growth. I'm really struck by the amount of student interest and like PhD inquiries I get about people interested in the subject. And as someone who does more sociology of religion, I think it's really interesting in how this um, overlaps a lot with this kind of like growth of nuns. And if religious studies comes from theology and we're studying to some extent ourselves, I think this interest in yoga and meditation and an interest in academic study of it is really reflective of this moment in time and what a huge um, and growing number of people are drawing upon to give their lives meaning and structure in various ways. So it's quite an exciting moment where there's a self-awareness of drawing on different traditions in our our kind of largely European um, North American audience um, in our cultures.
1: Yeah, there's certainly something happening. <laughs> there's a number of some things happening in this generation and this year in particular, but there's something very good happening uh, in 2020 when it comes to to, to, to to yoga studies, if such a thing can be said to exist. Um, um, regarding your comment, there's, oh, there's so many, many uh, contributions that I think would be great to touch on. But there is a uh, really interesting contribution in the first section about the scholar-practitioner. I think that would be interesting for one of you to maybe touch on a little bit and tell us about what the article is is showing or saying, uh, especially with regard to the this 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 interest in yoga both uh, as a study and a practice among among scholars and practitioners themselves. You know, what can you tell us uh, uh, about that article?
0: You want me to talk then? Or <laughs> I think that um, this is something that's, uh, I've certainly been in discussions with mark about for years and um Brian as well and it's such an interesting and not altogether transparent aspect of the scholar practitioner and who's writing about yoga who's doing about who's doing yoga um, and what kind of public personas we need to gain credibility for different audiences and there's the, in a lot of the initial scholarship on yoga, there was a kind of pushback from practitioners um, in public areas of discourse. That oh, if you don't practice, you don't have the authority to to talk about the subject. Um, but in the academic spheres, um, you you kind of didn't have any authority if you were see- perceived as um, identifying with or being too biased towards a particular tradition. And what I think is really interesting in in this emerging field over the past 20 years, which is um, definitely something that about positionality that's become more nuanced in religious studies more generally, is that these distinctions are breaking down and we're becoming a bit more honest about our own positionality and how that relates to the, say, ideals of objective scholarship in whatever discipline you're, you're doing. So it's actually the fact that I think the vast majority, but not all, of the people writing about yoga in contemporary university contexts have some experience of these practices in some way Um, and what um, Mark Singleton and and Brian um, Larios talk about are kind of the complexities of these identities and the diversity of them and how they overlap um, sometimes comfortably and sometimes uncomfortably with um, say different contexts so as scholar practitioners of yoga studies um, a lot of us have found a, a kind of a platform and a way of talking about our identities and our professional research that's comfortable in our social context but a lot of the yoga studies that's going on say in India itself is to very different audiences in a, in a different context and that has um, tensions in public dialogue and also trying to integrate the different understandings of how to approach study and be respectful for yoga that come out of very different intellectual and social traditions.
1: Fascinating. Uh, While well, you, you have the floor there Suzanne do you want to tell us a little bit about your own contribution to the volume or the handbook I should say?
0: Um, so I in addition to um, collaborating with Karen, on the editing. Um, I have two other chapters. Um, one is on yoga as a health intervention in India, which draws upon the research I did in the ARIO project um, and is a kind of overview of what I hope to eventually get to in a much more substantive primary source um, presentation of this. But basically, um, that, that chapter is looking at the complex and contested history of, of how does yoga relate to physical health and more um, more somatic um, bodily concerns. And it's got a really long and complex relationship with, with these concerns, both within India and in our contemporary modern yoga context, which are now global. So one of the things I... I realized as I was writing this chapter that I found um, really interesting and in, in particularly in comparison to how yoga studies relates to meditation studies is how um, they really split the, the Maharishi Mahash Yogi um, was one of the first people who was presenting yoga as science. And in America, um, this led to the kind of seminal publication of the relaxation response in the 1970s by um, Herbert Benson and his um, female collaborator who tellingly I can't remember her name at the moment but it is in the book <laughs> um, that's really bad um, and, um, and this kind of secularized an approach to yoga studies and it, it was this American pushback that then so you, you can get the, the biomedical physiological benefits of lower blood pressure from this meditation response that doesn't require a religious context however within India um, the same movement really pushed towards the Hinduization of meditation. So all meditation, all yoga is scientific um, and we can prove the medical benefits of yoga through um, the, the Indian, um, Indian initiatives into funding um, scientific research into these subjects. So the, the same kind of moment that separated yoga from meditation studies in America starts the Indian government's incremental investment in yoga as a healthcare intervention, which, of course, really accelerated under um, Narendra Modi's government, but, but had been brewing definitely since the early 1970s.
1: Well, be, I mean, there's so many, many really fascinating um, contributions. I think they're about 35 or so. Uh, what I think might be um, interesting is to talk about these rather uh, maybe counterintuitive contributions in part three in terms of Islam and yoga or um, Sikhism and yoga, Christianity and yoga. I think that may be fascinating for some of our listeners to hear about um, if uh, one of you want to say a word about any of those chapters that involve Taoism, Islam, Sikhism, Christianity and yoga.
2: So one of the chapters I think that is really interesting is the opening chapter that considers yoga and meditation in the Jain tradition um, by Samani Pratibha Pragya, um, who is both a scholar, um, I should say, Dr. Samani Pratibha Pragya, um, and also um, a Jain nun, uh, a monastic. And this is a really interesting chapter, I think, which in some senses for me, occupies um, a, a place alongside uh, Florin Delano's chapter in section two, which looks at Buddhism and meditation in the same period. In that there's both chapters together, I think, probably with um, Kengo Harimoto's chapter on um, the early Vedic uh, Brahmanical um, expressions of yoga and meditation, show the entanglement, I think, between these three traditions. Um, We have, of course, this um, uh, evidence from the archaic period of um, practices and ideas and language related to yoga in the early Vedic texts um, but from the time of the um, emergence of Buddhism and Jainism we also have this entanglement between um, the different religious traditions and I think um, in particular the chapter on Jainism brings to light um, new research that's coming out of Samani's PhD at SOAS um, in which she does a very careful and detailed reading of those early um, canonical Jain sources and what the definitions are and understandings of um, terms like yoga, um, practices of meditation, um, teachings on both these terms and related terms. And I think really highlights the benefits from studying um, the early history of yoga and meditation in more than one religious context. Um, which can be a big ask, right? Because it takes time um, to engage with any of these texts. It takes time to learn languages, of course. Um, but for me, there's a great uh, you know, in my own research, I always wanted to approach the early and my my period is the early common Era. I always wanted to approach the early history of yoga by um, reading the core Hindu texts in context with Buddhist and Jain, and actually, I found out that that was um, in in some sense, over ambitious. And so I've really just focused myself on Buddhist and and Hindu um, understandings of yoga. But I think this chapter makes a really important contribution in terms of um, not only giving a detailed understanding of the early Jain period, but actually then she also skips through the medieval period, and brings us right up to date with the modern period and um, 20th century developments in Jain yoga. And in this, Section The other chapter that I wanted to highlight was that by um, Balbinder Singh, which looks at um, Sikhism, which he proposes that we refer to as Sikhi as part of a a decolonial uh, critique um, of the epistemic violence of the whole world religions paradigm in the colonial period. And this is a really interesting chapter as well that combines um, close textual analysis with a historical overview, and I think really puts... For me, this is a really important chapter that puts the discussion of Sikhism on the map of yogic studies in the field of yogic studies as an important tradition of South Asia that um, needs to be considered alongside, um, for example, the history of Hinduism as well. And um, this chapter, I think, highlights different aspects in the history of Sikhism different aspects of the discourse around yoga and and its particular political valence in in the context of colonialism, in the context of the Sikh identity. Um, So this is, I think, um, another um, chapter that covers ground that hasn't been particularly well represented always. Outside of its own, I would say, um, more niche uh, sort of subfield within Sikh studies.
1: You now, what you say about yoga, the the the, the South Asian uh, Indian civilizational India, the analog that comes to mind for me is Tantra, right? I, I want to study Tantra. So, is it, is it Hindu? Is it Buddhist? Is it? You know, but it really bespeaks the porous uh, nature, or, or even the anachronistic nature of what we call Hinduism, right? And so, so currents like yoga and Tantra, they the, the, they show us there are vines that sort of traverse the jungle of South Asia, and it's hard to say, well, they stop here and they start there. And um, even I'm surprised at times to find uh, what I would think of as Hindu deities in, in, in a Tibetan Buddhist context, uh, and students sometimes ask me about them. Um, and so it's, it's really, really fascinating, these, these these distinctions, right? And this is why I think that it may be counterintuitive, but the absence of a chapter on yoga and Hinduism actually is is uh, you're showing yoga in what can be considered Hinduism throughout this book uh, in some way, shape, or form. Um, th- there's a couple of questions I wanted to ask. Um, let's see how specific I want to get for this interview.
2: Well, Was there, do, oh, sorry,
1: could, please go ahead.
2: Before you do ask those next questions, could I just um, add to that last point you made? I, I just wanted to echo what Suzanne said, that although there isn't a chapter that says yoga and Hinduism, I mean, for me, this is very much the focus of the whole of part two: history of yoga and meditation in South Asia. So that almost um, exclusively discusses yoga within the context of Hinduism, apart from uh, one chapter which is more focused on Buddhism. So I just wanted to add that in from my perspective.
1: Absolutely. Um, what I mean, there's maybe there's one uh, paper in particular that I wanted to highlight were there others that either of you wanted to highlight I mean they're they're also rich or were there ones that um, struck you as surprising or, or particularly innovative or, or noteworthy in terms of something you weren't aware of before you read the chapter like what sort of jumps out at you
2: Well I have to say that um, it was a very <laughs> rich education editing this volume and it was a complete privilege and honor um, to be privy to this um, research and development um, I Myself did want to highlight the chapter by Adrian Munoz, which is um, a kind of summary overview of yoga in Latin America. Um, as I mentioned, this is the first time that this research has been gathered and published in English, even though there is, a, of course, a strong community of academic researchers on yoga and meditation in Latin America. So this was really interesting for me in terms of seeing what those parallel developments were In the early 20th century, in various Latin American countries, with um, the arrival of Indian gurus, the ways in which different branches or schools of yoga developed in um, sometimes uh, very much in sync with the types of developments we've seen in the Euro-American context, but um, also with different emphases and and different um, schools that became prominent. So that for me was a really interesting chapter, and I definitely look forward to hearing more about developments in that part of the world.
0: For me, what was the most exciting bit about putting this book together was actually the workshop we had um, in between the first and second drafts where most of the chapter authors were able to come to London and um, we had two whole days where we exchanged um, papers and reactions to the papers and it was very conversational. And what I found most um, personally enriching was perhaps like Karen, um, some of the perspectives that are furthest from my area of of understanding. So I particularly found interesting Charles Lee's explanation of how you create um, a kind of a genealogy of a text through kind of new digital technology. Um, and I also found the summaries of psychopathology and cognitive sciences really helpful because these are areas that I don't feel like I've got my own personal map of is quite sketchy. Um, so it was really helpful to have some of my um, blind spots and areas of ignorance exposed and um, uh, and discussed with in a really collegial manner, and so. When thinking about the reader picking up this book, um, I'd really encourage you to go to the chapters that aren't your area of expertise or maybe something that you didn't think that you were interested in. Um, because I think that's where we really get to know ourselves better and how to ask better questions about the areas we're interested in.
1: And that's part of the that's part of the real strength of the enterprise. Um not only the individual um, fascinating in-depth studies. But this can be sort of a one-stop shop where you can even, by coming into the shop, you know what sort of spices you missed out on or that you don't know about type thing, just to use an analogy of a spice shop.
0: Absolutely. I think one of my favorite chapters in that regard was um, Finian Garrity's one on, on omen. I was
1: sound. so, I was just about to ask, I, was, I didn't know how to ask, but I'm like, can somebody touch on Finian Garrity's article? I was going to say for my own personal <laughs> selfish interest, but please go ahead.
0: Um. I mean, as a as someone who's not uh, an expert in, in uh, Sanskrit at all, um, I was just really struck by the the profound importance of orality and soundscapes, and the response that we had at the workshop was from sound studies. And I know this is this has been a, something my colleagues in religious studies have been interested in for a while, but I didn't really engage with it. Um, and how many of our, our practices of yoga and meditation really have this important Oral element be, it, it imagined or actually um, actually it sounded or, or vibrated in some way and this is obviously such a doctrinally important part of the Indian traditions is the, the sound and the vibrations and how that actually I found it really fascinating personally how that I hadn't considered it in terms of my own experience and how pervasive it actually is so that's a really exciting um, field for for I think all of us to pay more attention to is is what is our soundscapes, what are our, our sound landscapes, that kind of thing.
1: And is it interesting that we? I mean, I happen to be a textual scholar. I don't know why. I quite enjoyed it. But I'm not sure how that happened. I really should have done ethnography, but I have this podcast to fill that niche in my life, so I can talk to people <laughs> professionally. But um, but isn't 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 academia isn't scholarship via text? I mean, aren't we kind of used to? To reading and thinking in those terms, right? It's 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 perhaps unsurprising that it's it takes a bit of a reframe for us to um, 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 uh, re-familiarize ourselves with the with the fact that 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 the text is uttered. It's an utterance, right? In many cases, and and, and the impact that has on uh, religiosity and 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 theology and etc. 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 Especially in in what one might call the Hindu religious tradition. Um, I ended up, I think, organizing panel on sonality um, Finian was on a few years ago at the AAR, it was lots of fun actually uh, what what else do you want to maybe touch on about the volume, I know you're both very busy and we'll close fairly shortly but was there anything in particular that you wanted to to highlight or, or, or share about the volume
2: I think I wanted to um, very briefly um, highlight some of the Topics that we mentioned um, in the introductory chapter, which is called Reframing Yoga and Meditation Studies, where there is this acknowledgement that we weren't able to include everything we wanted to. And because of the way a large project like this um, is put together with deadlines, we had to draw a line under the commissioning process at a certain point. At a point, we feel um, you know, in 2020, whether there are new developments and new voices coming into the field. So I suppose for me, it would be important to acknowledge that there's still a lot of research and a lot of work to be done and which will be coming into our awareness in the next couple of years. For example, um, developments on yoga um, in China, I think, are particularly interesting. Um, regionally, there hasn't really been uh, much published yet on yoga in the Middle East, or indeed um, yoga in Africa, where there are lots of different developments in the continent. And although I think we've got some really excellent critical perspectives on yoga from um, decolonization to Karanan Wong's chapter, which is looking at um, both childhood and um, sexuality as well in her, um, and, and gender as well in her chapter, I think there are important um, thematic contributions on the horizon on the, um, on the themes of yoga and critical race theory, yoga and whiteness um, as a kind of continuation of that ongoing discussion of cultural appropriation and also um, yoga and abuse, yoga and sexual abuse, um, yoga and coercion, because we've now got this um, uh, new major funded research project, which um, Is just starting to, to to come to the fore, um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that there are lots of um, new areas and and new topics that are going to be coming into our um, sort of discourses and conferences and workshops in the next couple of years as well. And if I can mention something else, um, I don't know quite how it works with the timing of the um, podcast release, but we do have a launch for the book coming up at SOAS on the twenty third of November, um, which will also be um, recorded and archived on on their um, YouTube channel. And that's going to feature um, some of the authors um, in discussion talking about their chapters. And um, it will also be chaired by Professor Chakravarti Ram Prasad. So I think that will be a really interesting conversation as well, if people wanted to follow up after the podcast.
1: Oh, that's a that's a great opportunity. Uh, speaking of which, um, in the timeless time of podcasts, it's difficult to know what is future, past, and present in terms of what's coming up. But um, uh, uh, both of uh, both Karen and Suzanne, both of these uh, co-editors, will be sharing on this very publication at the upcoming OCHS. Uh, that's the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. Um, weekend school dedicated to, to, to yoga studies, uh, new directions in yoga studies. They'll have a slot where they will be sharing more on this research alongside um, uh, nine other uh, cutting edge researchers uh, in the field sharing their groundbreaking work. Um, that's on December the 5th and 6th of the weekend. For those of you hearing this before that point, by all means, consider attending, it should be lots of fun but um, maybe more importantly, given the longevity of podcasts, for those of you hearing this beyond uh, December 5th, 6th, uh, 2020, uh, we will make available to you um, the recordings of this through the OCHS. Um, if you want to go to the OCHS online.org, I believe is a website and that should be lots of fun. It's been sort of a surreal um, pleasure and Honor this week to just tinker away at this list of speakers and watch it just become this 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 you know the symphony of expertise. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's staggering to me that there's so much happening um, w- without trying. The oh, I think eighty percent of you have books out this year. It's so interesting to me.
0: I think if there's one one other thing I'd quite like to highlight is that uh, as Karen says, um, a lot of the chapters point towards. Um, ongoing issues that we weren't able to fully explore but there's ongoing research um, and so some of the chapters which might feel um, a bit too um, a bit too thin um, hopefully there'll be much more emerging on that um, in, in, in the near future um, and something there is actually quite a lot of work on that might not seem obvious to all yoga scholars is um, I'd like to highlight in Julian Strube's chapter, which is on yoga and meditation, modern esoteric traditions. And this actually taps into a really rich field of research that's been ongoing in German speaking countries for a number of years, which is exploring the hundreds of years of intercultural exchange between um, uh, Europeans and Indians in in both health and, um, and religious thinking. And what Julian's research highlights, um, as well as particularly Carl Bayer and the research network he's building in Vienna, is the the really profound interconnections between ideas of of health and um, subtle bodies. And um, I think the takeaway from this is that the Indian traditions have influenced European thinking a lot more than we realize or understand. And there's going to be a lot more research unpacking the mutually um, transformative encounters that have been going on for a lot longer than we normally realize um
1: indeed and, and you know the way i think of good books as um uh, 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 i think of good books as beginnings of inquiry rather than sort of finales or conclusions or the best of books they you know they chart a course off the beaten path and now you're in the, the, the wilderness of what they've opened up and i think the same can be said for the best of, of handbooks that also it's it's a beginning it, it equally shows you the lay of the land and it Points to areas for future development. Um, so I think we will uh, close for today. Uh, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast.
2: Thank you very much for having us.
1: <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, we have been speaking uh, with uh, Suzanne Yukon and Karen O'Brien Koch, co editors of the Rutledge Handbook of Yoga and Meditation Studies, Hot off the presses uh 2020 um uh, they will be presenting on the handbook alongside other uh yoga scholars at the ochs um, online weekend school december 5th or 6th um you're all welcome to attend until next time stay safe priority number one keep reading keep listening and keep contemplating um the variety of things we call yoga. Take care.